Good morning, beloved. I want to invite you to turn with the Bible to James chapter 1. And isn't it good to know we are, in fact, loved by God? Singing some of those lyrics and thinking about the fact that God receives us. We don't have fear of condemnation because of his sacrifice, because of his grace, because of his love. We are incredibly loved. It reminds me of a story that I came across this past week. I'm going to read it to you. British radio host, this was from the Huffington Post. British radio host Sam Darleston found a fuzzy surprise when he opened a bag of broccoli from his local grocery store, a caterpillar. But instead of evicting his new furry friend, he decided to take care of it. You know, lockdown will do funny things to people. It turned out that being an ad hoc caterpillar caretaker was just the hobby he needed to pass the time during lockdown in his London apartment. He told a reporter, I did my research initially and discovered the exact type of caterpillar slash butterfly we were dealing with. I then decided to build him a little home in my living room with all the broccoli he wanted. Darleston named his caterpillar Cedric and was planning on maintaining a habitat for one until another trip to the same store for more broccoli yielded more caterpillars. He said the broccoli I'd got as a replacement contained five more. And then the third broccoli belonged to my housemate and uh, it had another one. So I became, one became seven caterpillars overnight. Over a series of tweets, Darleston conveyed to his audience how each of them eventually became chrysalis and formed cocoons only to eventually become butterflies and fly away. Quote, I felt a tiny bit sad watching them spread their wings, but overall the feeling was happiness. I'm just happy at least one of us gets to go out during these times. <laughs> he quoted. And I was thinking about the love of God. No matter how you arrived, do you know that God accepts you in? When we start thinking about grace, forgiveness, new beginnings, new starts, as we think about God wiping the slate clean in the cross of Christ and being willing to take us in, even though we're not butterflies yet, it's remarkable to think. It's remarkable to think that God doesn't give up on us with all the setbacks and all of the disappointments, all the frustrations, all of the good intentions that were not realized in our lives. God is still at work in us. He's faithful to complete a process and I'm so grateful for the love of God. I want to invite you to tell somebody next to you these simple words. If you believe that it's true, God is still at work in you. I see some nods and smiles. Say it with conviction. <laughs> Would you stand with me as you're able?
And I want to continue from the book of James this morning, marveling with you at the fact that God is still working with us and promises to continue to do so. These are wonderful instructions for our progress. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure, faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. May God bless the reading of his scripture. May we, in fact, have hearts to obey it. Amen? Please be seated. The book of James is a book that encourages us to have an inward faith that turns outward, to have a faith that works its way out in our attitudes, our actions, our words, our deeds, it's about a faith that works. And one of the themes that James utilizes in, the, in his short letter to help us understand this process that God's wanting to do in us of changing us so that we're the same on the inside and our good intentions and our outside may be the same between our good professions as religious people and what we look on, look like what we are on the outside he uses this word teleos that I introduced you to last week. And it's a word that describes maturity or completeness or even perfection. It's rendered in several ways. It's used many times in the New Testament. It's used three times in the opening chapter of James. Last week I told you that one of God's goals is to make us more complete through things that we don't like, trials and even temptations. God is able to work through these things if we're willing to be faithful. He's willing to shape us, and he's willing to change us. If we could have that mindset, that even our hard things can be a portal to God's presence. They, they can be a way for us of experiencing grace if we're open to it, and if we're willing to seek him in the middle of all of our trouble. God's desire in that is that our faith shows up under trial. Not that we sort of put it on hold, but even during those hard things, because God's working us. God's not just taking the bag and taking it back to the store and saying, what is that? <laughs> he nurtures us as we're willing. He's at work in changing us into something good, into something beautiful. 
as crawly and, I don't know, caterpillars are the yucky, as fuzzy as they are. I know what you're thinking. This is like the day before Valentine's. What a heartwarming story to share with you. I know. Second time he used this book, Telios in James, talking about perfection, is he talks about God's perfect gifts from above. Then he brings it up in the passage that we read in describing the perfect law. If we look into this perfect, complete, totally adequate, ready, mature word of God, it's, it's able to change us if we don't forget that God's word stares us in the face, the things that we need to change. And then in James 3, 2, kind of as a summary, and we'll get to this one. I'll spend the whole Sunday on this one. Uh, it has to do with taming our tongue, a two-ounce slab of trouble. It's referenced here in James 1. It comes back to it in James chapter 3. And really, this is the ultimate test of faith, whether your faith works, whether it turns outward, is if you can indeed control what you say. And so he says, the one who is mature and perfect is the one who controls their tongue in any circumstance or situation. Really high bar that's coming in the book of James. But what he's saying is, to the extent that we focus on his good and perfect gifts, his work in our lives, to the extent that we focus on his good and perfect word, he is able to change even us to reflect, to become a good work, to become a word to this world, if you will. He wants to change us, conform us into his image. He's moving us into a place of maturity and transformation and change. So as you look around at our fellow worms, some might be in the chrysalis stage, some might have uh, I don't know, maybe some of them has wings, I'm not sure. But we're all somewhere in this process of teleos. We're all changing. I want to talk a little bit about maturity with my opening comments here uh, from James as I'm just continuing to sort of introduce the whole book. Let me start with something fun, what maturity is not. Can we start there? Maturity, biblically, is not about how old you are. It's not about age. I told you so. If you want to go to the young adult class, we'll see. Maybe they'll welcome you in like a bag of broccoli or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> They're called florets, right? That sounds really better than broccoli, I have to say. It's not about our age. Growing older is not optional. <laughs> but growing more mature, it requires our cooperation with the Spirit of God. Work out what God works in. God is at work in us. And he calls us to work out our salvation. So it's not about age. Maturity also is not about appearances. And Jesus had a lot to say about that, actually. As people were kind of worried about what other people think of us. And so this can easily become the focus of religion. And Jesus had a lot of things um, to caution us about. Don't kid yourself. He says it right here in James, right? Don't deceive yourself with the appearance of a religion that looks really good if, in fact, there's no fruit to back it up in your life. It's not about achievement either. Sometimes we'd like to think it is. You know, I'm kind of a list maker myself. I like to kind of check things off the box and have the pride of some accomplishment and so forth. And our maturity in Christ is more about a relationship. It's a little messier than that. Because I know I can do my good deeds, maybe not with the best heart. It, it's really not about um, achievement, and it's not about academics. 
you can have so many theology decrees by your name that they call you Dr. Fahrenheit. But if you're not on fire for Jesus, it's not maturity. And as we know, knowledge puffs up. Love actually builds up. And there, there's a big difference between what we know and whether or not we're actually mature. There's a great series of books out there by Peter Scazzaro about the emotionally healthy Christian and the emotionally healthy church. And it's just an alarming topic. Uh, I spent about three years with one of those books because I could only read a little bit. It was so painful the whole time I read it about the fact that we can be incredibly immature with regard to our emotions. And yet we can know so much about the Bible and we can say all the right things religiously. But the two need to come together. And, and really, I don't think that's too far off of where James is going with what he has to say to Christians. He's saying to us that God is in a process of changing us toward more completeness in Christ, this, this transformation. And don't kid yourself, if it doesn't show up in your attitude, if it doesn't show up in your actions, then it isn't real. That's a hard thing for us because... You know, some people give a lot to religion. And to think that maybe we're not actually making progress spiritually is kind of a painful reality. Uh, compare that list to Jesus' words in Mark 12, 38. Watch out for the teachers of the law. There's some education, probably some age, a little bit of achievement and experience. They like to walk around in flowing robes and to be greeted with respect. We all like those appearances in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquet. What did Jesus say? Look out for them. And he had a lot to say about us religious folks, didn't he? In scripture. And James wants to carry this through as he, he's encouraging us to actually make progress in our lives toward this transformation and this conformity in Christ likeness. That's, that's what he's after. I was reminded of something that someone shared um, this past week, actually, in the Bible plan that Teresa, Teresa talked about. Myself and about 37 other very religious people <laughs> are going through an online Bible reading plan. We're systematically reading through Scripture. And I won't brag about what we're doing, okay? That would be really bad. But someone having a comment, we hit Mark 11 this week, and someone commented on this really random little story of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem with the disciples. He gets hungry, and he goes over to a fig tree because he sees the leaves, and he's really disappointed because there's no fruit. There's leaves, but no fruit. And they looked it up, and sure enough, the leaves are supposed to happen with the fruit. And the random part of the story, as you probably know, is that Jesus then condemns the fig tree and walks away. And the disciples, I don't know if they're weirded out, but they're impressed. And they say, you could do that? <laughs> and he that's where he makes the statement about you could even move mountains, right? And, and so they're impressed by that. But, but we're left to think, well, that was random. Why does gentle Jesus curse a fig tree? And they did a little looking, and the next day they read the passage you just read from Matthew 12, and they put it together. Because in Matthew 12, Jesus enters Jerusalem, and he starts hanging around with these really religious people with their flowing robes and everything else that they're trying to impress people. And he starts telling parables against them. And I also did some looking at this out of curiosity because it fits so well with this idea of the appearance of maturity versus actual maturity. 
that I also did some digging and looked at it. And this is most commonly how this Mark chapter 11 odd story of Jesus cursing a fig tree is understood. Cursing the fig tree is actually a parable against religious people who have leaves and no fruit. And are we comfortable being people who are known for our beautiful leaves, but there's really no fruit? You think about it, that fruit is really important. It provides nourishment outside of ourselves. But not only that, it provides the opportunity for reproduction. Fruit have seeds in them. And if you don't have those, Jesus is saying you are withered and you are dead whether you accept it or not. <laughs> no matter what you think, don't deceive yourself that the leaves of religion are a cover-up for actual change that God is desiring to birth in each one of us. So he's saying be really careful. So real maturity, of course, is Christ-likeness in attitude and Christ-likeness in action. And I think you're going to see this throughout the book of James. You're going to see that he's really concerned about the things that we think about, fill our minds with. He's concerned about our heart and why we do things. And he's really concerned about our actions. And if, if that sounds really familiar, there are some beautiful parallels between the Sermon on the Mount and what James offers. It's just that James is painfully and brutally practical. He's willing to say things like this. Don't kid yourself, you fruitless, leaf-bearing fig trees. <laughs> he, he's willing to, to put it in really practical terms. If you're not serving outside of yourself, those who are destitute and in, in need, as we read here, your religion, he says, is worthless. <laughs> Pretty strong words. He says, if your life doesn't back it up, if your words, you say one thing and you, you live the other, that's what's really revealing your heart. And, and he gets down to it in really practical ways. Maturity is integrity. It's about us being the same on the inside and on the outside. Because we all know that the root determines the fruit, right? As it turns out, myself and about 14 other really religious guys showed up here on Tuesday, and we had a men's fellowship, and they talked a lot about roots and the fact that you got to go deep with your roots if you're going to have fruit. And they had some great stories about calamities pulling out roots. Our men's group had some tremendous experience of destroying vehicles and all kinds of great stuff. And man, they love to outdo each other with their stories. That's beside the point. Our roots are our stability and they produce fruit. So what's on the inside is going to come out. And Jesus is saying, that above ground stuff, all those flowery leaves, that, that it really isn't what this is all about. So he's pointing us to something better. He's pointing us to something quite different. Well, James goes on and he talks about the fruitlessness um, of religion without, uh, religion with just leaves. Notice these words in verse 26 and 27. They're kind of harsh. Those who consider themselves religious, does that get anybody else's attention? I'm sure it got their attention. Come on, James, we're on your side. <laughs> Help us out. Those who consider themselves religious, but they don't keep a tight rein on their tongue, something really practical, as I've mentioned, their religion is worthless. Now, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. That's the kind of thing. As an example, it's outward working. It shows up. It actually costs us in terms of time 
and energy and resource. Does your life show it? That's the whole book of, book of James. Do you have a faith that works itself out in your daily life? So I want to make a few comments about fruitless religion because these are words of warning to us from James. Because I'm putting myself in that group. I show up to church a lot. And so I'm taking these words really seriously. <laughs> Our religion becomes fruitless, James is saying, when we stop listening and when we stop growing. He says, take note of this. We should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. You notice the progression there. Sometimes we try to deal head on with the anger and we skip the part about listening. And he's giving us something really practical and helpful. If we could begin to humble ourselves and listen, it would do us a lot of good with regard to all of our quarrels and arguments. Wouldn't you agree? Studies prove that your blood pressure goes down when you're listening and it goes up when you're speaking. So you guys have the home court advantage right now about not being angry. <laughs> My blood pressure goes up when I speak. Enjoy it. <laughs> and think about it. You know, there's the old saying, we've given two ears and one tongue. We're to listen twice as much as we speak. There's, I don't know, this adage, if you're in a group setting, you should let at least three or four other people talk every time you talk or something like that. Because for some of us, we just have so much to say and we're so interesting and we want people to know <laughs> what they need to know that we speak a lot. One of the challenges of this is just how fast our brains work. Studies say that your brain is able to process 650 words a minute. But the average person speaks 150 words a minute. Average, right? That's a gap. That's room for 500 words a minute of boredom in your brain when you're trying to track and you're trying to listen to somebody. So you're listening to a sermon and all these other distracting thoughts are popping into your head. It's normal. Listening requires focus. It requires intentionality. It, it's a discipline. It's not easy. And James says, do you know that one of the practical things you can do toward maturity is listening? And of course, he's talking about God's perfect word. He's talking about focusing in on God's word. Isn't it true that religion really does become a mess when we stop listening? And I, I think of this in terms of attitudes as a church. And tell me if I'm the only one that's guilty of this. We think we have it figured out. And we even want to be, maybe in a good way, defensive of truth. Because we have a world around us that does not accept the same truths that we do. They don't see it the way we do. And so somehow we take that as this convenience ticket to stop listening. I want to ask you if that's okay. I think part of the reason we stop listening is because we're fearful. But didn't Jesus say that perfect love drives away fear? You pursue the truth, you're actually going to find it. So if that's, that's what you're really doing, you don't have to be afraid to dialogue with somebody who disagrees with you. But when we become so inward that we can't do that anymore, oh, definitely fights are rough, don't they? when we're quick to speak. There's just a lot of people out there today that are not so quick to listen. They'll just speak. 
And you know the landscape of American politics? It's, it's, it's not listening. Maybe it never has been. Maybe that's fair to say. But it really isn't. We're not listening. We've lost the ability to do that because we want to protect something for us to think about. Can we listen? The other part of this is growth. James says that that we ought to focus on God's word and to look at it intently, and he says the one who continues in that, did you see it in there? That's the one who ends up being blessed in all that they do. And so, if you will, ironically, but there's some religious some religious effort going on here of studying scripture. This isn't to say that any of the religious things that we do can't be helpful. To be honest, we're all religious. Most people don't admit it. They just think of it as something else. We all have habits. We have habits of what we do on Sunday morning, whether you go to church or whether you don't. You have habits of what you do first thing in the morning, whether you read the scripture or you don't. You have habits, what you do, whatever, Monday night, if you go to the Sermon Digest online group or if you go to your small group or you don't. On and on and on it goes. But we're all religious in a sense. We, we all have habits. We pretty much do the same thing. <laughs> morning after morning, day after day. If you doubt it, did you brush your teeth within the last 24 hours? Hopefully, yes, because it's a religious habit. It's, it's a good thing. And there are good habits and there are vices. There are bad habits. We will grow through the right habits. But sometimes... We allow our religion to become the ultimate of our goal. Not the penultimate, but, but the thing that becomes an end in and of itself. Religion can itself, our good habits can become a portal to growth and experience of God, relationship. Or they can become this weird substitute like leaves instead of fruit. I introduced you last week. You should note that. You probably knew what that fill-in was already, right? We start fighting when we stop listening. If you want to know what the remedy is, start listening. By the way, um, Jacob mentioned love languages, and that's our question, not only because it's Valentine's, because our faith needs to turn outward. (laughs) And love, if, if we do all this good stuff without love, it's just nothing. We all know that. And Jacob mentioned the love language of service. And it's so funny that he complimented me publicly on something that I did for him on Thursday because one of my love languages are words of affirmation. <laughs> so thank you very much. That makes me feel very good. <laughs> Appreciate that. And acts of service, yes. Those are ways that I like to serve people. Um, I show them love that way, and there are ways, consequently, that I, I like to receive love. For Teresa, there are gifts and their quality time. And, and all of us are different. And part of the point of love languages is that what? We're learning to listen to each other. We're not assuming that everybody else is the same that we are, right? And we're willing to do that. And, and love does that. Love breaks into somebody else's world without these presumptions, filling in the 500-word gap, that I already know what you're going to say. I already know what you need. I already know how you feel. I'm just going to jump to the conclusion because... When you disagree with me, I'm just going to tell you what's right. I'm not going to listen to what you have to say, right? Arguments. Okay, you got all that. Last week, I introduced you to a crab shell. Do you remember that? And I mentioned, you know, 
what significance this was, and it carries it for me. But do you know, it's funny. We had a guest couple in service last Sunday. And of all things, they live in Rockaway Beach, Oregon. <laughs> they attend Neatart's Friends Church. And, and so I had this guy, we just struck up this conversation about my crab shell. And he says, you know, and he said it in the most gentle way. He corrected me. <laughs> he says, I have good news for you. That crab is not dead. I said, what are you talking about? I said, it's, I've always assumed if you saw that, that was like a skeleton. He says, no, actually, it's an exoskeleton. And, and crabs molt the outside of their shell. And we just had this interesting discussion. So I looked it up, not because I didn't trust him. I knew he was right. But it was interesting. Like a snake shedding its skin or a kid needing larger clothes, crabs, prawns, barnacles, and other crustaceans need to shed hard outer layers in order to grow. This process is called molting. Crabs will shed the shell on their backs, their legs, and even the coverings of their eyes and their gills. These are amazing creatures. And this was interesting to me, too, thinking about the hard crust of religion. Small crabs will shed four or five times as much. Isn't that true of new Christians? I mean, they're just hungry. They don't already have this assumption that I've already arrived and I don't need to keep growing. Small crabs will shed four or five times a month, while older crabs may take 30 to 50 days to grow large enough before needing to shed again. And this was the interesting part. A newly shed crab will be about a third bigger than it was before. And, and I got to thinking, we're continuing to keep growing as Christians growing in Christ-likeness, continuing to move forward. It's going to require tremendous effort of, of listening and, and putting in the sacrifice and, and all these things. It's going to take the right heart. And we have to decide, you know, I'm comfortable with my hard shell. I got to thinking about, you know, when was the last time I ditched a shell spiritually? <laughs> I think that's an important question for us. Would you say that your spirit, your heart is, is soft and pliable and open and listening and tender and growing? Or, or would you say it's kind of crusted over because I'm trying to protect myself? Because when it really comes down to it, we're talking about maturity and we're talking about God bringing us to more completeness and everything else. We're really talking about relationship. We're talking about a willingness to be open to the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, teaching us, changing us, drawing us closer, bringing the miracle of reconciliation with other crabs around us. <laughs> God loves to see that. They'll know we're Christians by our love, right? Oh, I'm so glad God still brings us home from the grocery store and doesn't just flick us away. Tenderly cares for us, patiently growing us, helping us, rescuing us. Here's a couple of verses about growth in the Bible. First Corinthians um, just clearly shows us that there's progression. Paul's disappointed they're still on spiritual milk. They should be on meat, solid food by now, you, you guys. And it's proof that age is not the same thing as maturity. Uh, also in First Corinthians, and this is the passage and even... Uh, the chapter where he talks about the, prom the prominence of love as our primary fruit that should be with all those leaves. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I, but when I became an adult, I put all the childish stuff away. Can we say that? Are you okay 
shedding some of those barriers that restrict us from continued growth and maturity. Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. It's a challenge for us. It's really a challenge because I think what we all like to do is the comparison game. You know, I'm smarter than that person. I, I know more about religion than that person. I'm, you know, I've definitely made progress over here. There's nothing to do with that. Right? It's like saying I can bench press more than your grandma. So what? <laughs> it's not about comparison. It's about where have you been? And where are you growing? And, and maybe it's a statement of grace for all of us. It's so easy to judge people based on where we think they ought to be. And we don't really know where they've been. Maybe they're a small crab shell that's shedding a bunch of scaly junk at four or five times the clip that you are. Give God praise that he's at work in the person next to you. He's bringing us to change. Well, our religion becomes fruitless. It just becomes leafy when we stop listening and we stop growing. And, and it also happens when we separate God from daily life. The word of God is a mirror. We don't come as religious people primarily as the ones who are reading it. Instead, it is to read us. We can fruitlessly come to Scripture if we don't come with a heart that's ready to change. If we don't experience the living word and the written word, it's almost more dangerous that we have knowledge as ammunition to fire against each other. Not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. Those who consider themselves religious yet don't keep tight rein on their tongues. Talking about their fights with each other and all that stuff. Their religion is worth less. So, again, and I, I think I've said this adequately so far, but when we separate God from daily life, when we compartmentalize that part from everything else that's out, out here, notice what Jesus said in Luke 8. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they don't mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce crop. James is referencing Jesus' teaching about the word that is planted within you. And as we know from what Jesus taught us in the parable of the seeds, it's possible for us to put up all sorts of barriers in terms of our attitude and our welcoming of Scripture and God's word in our lives. What was interesting to me in looking at it this week is that he's using the same word for teleos. And in this case, uh, if I can say it right, telesophoreo is actually a reference that was used in common Greek language to bearing fruit. And so this maturity of a plant is that it's at a point where it's bearing fruit and it's reproducing. And I was thinking about that for a church that's interested in finding its vision. Thinking about how we need to be a church that is constantly growing in terms of what we're hearing and understanding from God. We can never separate this desire, I think, that we all have to multiply and to be seed-bearing and to be useful to the community and service 
You can't separate that from we need to be growing in Christ. We need both of those things, don't we? Just been thinking about that. I want to be a crop-producing church, don't you? We got leaves, by the way. Did you notice our fancy, dancy new sign outside? Kind of leafy, watch out. <laughs> because leaves promise something. And we need to be people whose lives back it up. Hmm? Religion becomes fruitless when we lose the attitude of a servant. This is easy to do. Religion becomes consumer. When it becomes about me, when it becomes about us, rather than producing fruit that needs to be separated and goes through a process of dying and reproducing, it's, it's not about us. But if it is about the next generation of trees and the next generation of trees, and it's not about me being admired for what we look like now and today, it's about thinking forward in the future. I was thinking about this also with respect to um, the geography of Israel. You're thinking, caterpillars perhaps. Geography of Israel, trust me. <laughs> the Jordan River is 1,190 feet above sea level. And it flows southward to the Dead Sea. That's kind of a basic geography lesson for Israel. The Dead Sea, did you know, is 1,410 feet below sea level. The thing about the Dead Sea is that nothing grows there. Hence the name. It's kind of an interesting place to go. You don't want to be in that water too long. You cannot sink in the Dead Sea. You definitely don't want to taste it. I took their word for it. I didn't try it. But I physically couldn't make myself sink. I've been in it twice. I couldn't make myself sink either time. Someone in our Israel planning meeting uh, last week uh, said that it's like bathing in chicken soup. <laughs> Great description of it. The whole reason that the Dead Sea is dead, do you know why? It has no outlet. It has no flow. It's all about receiving. It's not about giving. And Jesus said that it, it is in the giving that we find life. It, it's in the dying that we're resurrected. If as a church we, we don't want to become this novelty of a tourist attraction of, wow, I mean, like, things are different there. <laughs> Weird. I'll get in it for a few seconds. <laughs> And then I'll run out of it. <laughs> Jordan River is useful. There's life in it. It has to have an outlet. And we need that outlet. I want to invite us to spend a few minutes just listening to the Spirit. This is a time we call open worship. Anyone is invited to participate in terms of speaking, but we're all encouraged to participate by listening. We know that God is willing to speak if we're willing to hear him. So I want to invite you just to take a moment to listen to what the Spirit would say. Use this time for prayer. And if you are prompted to share something because it's something that you believe is for all of us, please 
Don't be reluctant and use the microphone. We'd like to hear what you have to say because we are listening for the Spirit's movement among us. After a bit, I'll plan to close us in a prayer and we'll move on to the closing song. <laughs>